Why does offensive comedy matter? I'm recording this the day after Dave Chappelle was attacked on stage and just a few weeks after Will Smith slapped Chris Rock while he was performing. And given the increased push to equate words with violence, my guess is that we're only going to see more of this. Every few years, there's a new push to limit comedy that's considered obscene, offensive, or otherwise inappropriate. This has been going on for longer than anyone can trace back. It's not anything new. Uh, protests of comedy shows go all the way back to at least the early 1900s. There's reports of Catholic organizations in the Midwest back in 1905 being upset over vaudeville performers who made fun of stereotypes regarding the Irish and drinking. Lenny Bruce is considered the father of modern stand-up comedy. He was arrested multiple times in the early 1960s for things he said on stage. Ostensibly, he was arrested for obscenity, for saying things like cocksucker in his act, but law professors and authors Ron Collins and David Scover argue, and many agree with him, that he was really arrested for being a Jew and criticizing the Catholic Church. He had multiple bits that he got arrested for. There was one bit called Religions, Inc., where he imagined faith leaders like the Pope and Billy Graham meeting on Madison Avenue to exchange tips for defrauding their followers. You know, for the first time in 12 years, Catholicism is up nine points. <laughs> Judaism is up 15. The big P, the Pentecostal, is starting to move finally. He had another bit called Tits and Ass, where he called out Americans... Puritanism regarding sexual language and the dirtiness of the human body. But if it is the truth, you just can't put tits and ass nightly up on a marquee outside on the strip. Why not? Why not? Because it's dirty and vulgar. That's why not. Titties are dirty and vulgar? Well, they're not to me, Jim. I like to hug them and kiss them. No, it's not the titties. You're not going to bait me. It's the words, the way you relate. I don't believe you. I believe to you it's the titty that's dirty. Because I will change the words in the marquee to Tuckuses and Nays nightly. That's a little better. Well, you're not an anti-Semit, that's point one. How about making it very austere Latin? Gluteus Maximus and Pectoralis Majors nightly. And that's clean. To you, schmuck, but it's dirty to the Latins. He had another bit called How to Relax Your Colored Friends at Parties, where he made fun of the way white people hide their bigotry through nice flowery language. I guess you know a lot of people in the show business, huh? Yeah, quite a few in my travels. Uh, what the hell is that? I'm bad on names. Uh, Aunt Jemima. <laughs> no, no, I don't know Aunt Jemima. Uh, what the hell is that guy? Uh, you know that guy in a cream of wheat box? <laughs> Lenny Bruce often used ethnic and racial slurs on stage, and he did so to diffuse the power of those words. Instead of using the slurs to mock the victims of the slurs, he was making fun of American values at the time, that post-war climate of cultural conformity, something very similar to what we're seeing today. Good comics are themselves degenerates. They hang out with the lowest rungs of society. They hang out with the people who are ignored or ostracized by mainstream culture. Today's culture, much like that culture that Lenny Bruce was mocking in the 60s, likes to pretend that they care about the poor, the minority, the underclass, the underserved. And that's what they're mocking. They're mocking the culture that values empty words, that values virtue signaling over actually caring about the people who are forgotten. Apple roared into the, the TV game with a morning show, a superb drama, yeah. 
a superb drama about the importance of dignity and doing the right thing, made by a company that runs sweatshops in China. So, well, you say you're woke, but the companies you work for, I mean, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney. If ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent, wouldn't you? So, if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a, a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So, if you win, right, come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your god, and fuck off, okay? Lenny Bruce was pursued by the authorities in multiple states just for the words he was saying while he was on stage. And he wasn't even pardoned in New York until 2003, 37 years after his death, thanks to the work of Ron Collins, David Scover, and First Amendment lawyer Robert Cornrevere. But at the time, he wasn't a hero. He didn't consider himself a hero. Others didn't consider him a hero. He was a degenerate. He had addiction issues. He had money issues. He had relationship issues. He didn't really do what he did because he had some high-minded idea of free speech and of the Constitution and the First Amendment. He was just doing what he knew how to do. That's what makes it almost impossible to judge people in their own time. That's what makes it impossible when you're looking at any artist, any creator, any comic to say that what they're doing is right or wrong. By definition, if you're creating something, you're doing something that's never been done before, which makes it impossible to compare it to any other standard. The only way to have a society that's free and growing is to let creative people be creative. And you can judge whether you like what they're creating, but to say that someone should or shouldn't be able to create something, you're cutting creativity off at the legs. There's no creativity if you're telling people that they have to create only within a particular box. There's a quote that's attributed to George Carlin. I haven't been able to find the source of this, but I like the quote, and it sounds like something George Carlin could say, so I'm gonna say it anyway. The, the quote is, it's the duty of the comedian to find where the line is drawn and cross it deliberately. Now, there's nothing wrong, again, with saying that there's a line, that you have a line, that society has a particular line, but to then advocate for violence against someone who's crossed that line means that nobody's going to come anywhere close to that line ever again. You'll never be able to figure out when the boundaries need to be moved and shifted. You'll never be able to learn from something someone's saying because people are going to want to just stay within the box of acceptable discourse. George Carlin's most famous bit is his seven dirty words you can't say on television. But we have more ways to describe dirty words than we actually have dirty words. That seems a little strange to me. It seems to indicate that somebody was awfully interested in these words. They kept referring to them. They called them bad words, dirty, filthy, foul, vile, vulgar, coarse, in poor taste, unseemly, street talk, gutter talk, locker room language, barracks talk, bawdy, naughty, saucy, raunchy, Rude, crude, lewd, lascivious, indecent, profane, obscene, blue, off-color, risque, suggestive, cursing, cussing, swearing, and all I could think of was shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. It might just seem like a dumb bit meant to intentionally offend, but it led to a groundbreaking Supreme Court case, FCC versus Pacifica Foundation that changed what people could say publicly. And that case was just cited last year in upholding a high school student's free speech rights. And that's the beauty of what comics do. You need that fringe of society to let the rest of society judge and debate on where that line should be drawn. What should 
acceptable discourse be? And you can only do that if you have that fringe. Richard Pryor is another comic who's famous for his ability to offend. He actually started out clean. He called his early comedy Mickey Mouse comedy. And in the late 60s, he moved to Berkeley, which was the hotbed of student protests and the free speech movement at the time. He started reading Malcolm X. He dramatically changed his act. He infused it with anger and race consciousness and dirty words. I went to jail for income tax evasion, right? You know, I didn't know a motherfucking thing about no taxes. I told the judge, said, Your Honor, I forgot. You know, he said, you remember next year, nigga? <laughs> Start writing on your ass. <laughs> They give niggas time like it's lunch down there. <laughs> you go down there looking for justice, that's what you find, just us. <laughs> and people accused him of being a Black Panther, of trying to incite violence, but he didn't stop. He kept going with his racial commentary. And he was really one of the first to do it in a funny way. Lenny Bruce openly joked about the Holocaust, rape, amputees, homosexuality. Richard Pryor's bits were full of misogyny. Both performers use racial slurs. You're not going to like everything that a creative person makes, but what allows them to create is the freedom to make what they want. Lenny Bruce, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, they open doors for comedians of all backgrounds to approach controversial themes like sex, race, politics, violence, religion. Because of people like Lenny Bruce, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, people who didn't have a voice before could now get on stage and talk about their own experiences. Women and minorities can now talk about what they've gone through without fear of retribution directly because of the comedians, the offensive comedians that came before them who weren't afraid to talk about the most sensitive topics. Even comics in the 80s who didn't have the same intimacy of a Pryor or a Lenny Bruce, like Sam Kinison or Andrew Dice Clay, still had value to add. These comics might have come across as sexist, as rage-filled, as bullies, but their jokes led to a conversation about sexuality and homophobia that wouldn't have existed without them. Oh, Miss Muffet sat on a tuffet. Eating occurred some way. Long came a spidey, sat down beside, he said, hey, what's in the bowl, bitch? Oh! Comics often can serve as a barometer of the national mood. They're one of the few groups of people who are going across the country every single week and interacting with just the general public. They have an opportunity to bring up issues that might otherwise be ignored or repressed. What makes someone laugh is an issue that's been discussed and debated by philosophers going back to Plato and Aristotle, Immanuel Kant, Thomas Hobbes, Sigmund Freud. They all try to understand humor and comedy and why we laughed. And there's a connection. There's a direct connection between philosophy and comedy. It's about presenting ideas up for scrutiny. It might sound ridiculous to say that there's a common thread between Andrew Dice Clay and Socrates, but it all comes down to being willing to put ideas out there for scrutiny, for people to judge and decide whether or not that's a good idea. And now you have a lot of people saying that millennials and Gen Z don't respond well to irony and satire anymore. They're not responding to traditional comedy. You have experts saying that these younger generations are very literal, very straightforward, and they want you to say exactly what you mean because otherwise it can get interpreted as a microaggression. We're literally dumber now. It takes a level of intelligence to understand irony and satire, to look beneath the surface of what's literal and to see what's being commented on beneath that surface. We don't need to appeal to the lowest common denominator 
and eliminate comedy, eliminate satire, and have everything be literal. What we need is to educate people on critical thinking, on debate, on discussion, on the value of putting ideas out there that you don't necessarily agree with, but putting them out there to shine a light on some topic that's relevant to the day. And we don't need comics to be thinking about that. We need comics to be thinking about what is funny. That's their job. It's easy to view Richard Pryor, George Carlin, and Lenny Bruce as heroes of free speech now that we can look back on and see how the world's different because of them. But at the time that they were active, they were just dumb comics. They were just trying to make jokes. They were just trying to make people laugh. And through that, we can analyze culture and society and the accepted values of the day and, and how those values changed. But the comics were just comics. It's not their job to convey truth. A comic has one job. That's to make people laugh. There's a tiny, tiny percentage of the population that's funny. Everyone thinks they're funny. But when you put it to the test, when you put people on stage and have them actually tell jokes, you realize there's a very small number of people who are actually good at that. That's a real superpower. Any person can stand up on stage and speak truth to power and be honest and sincere and heartfelt. Very few people can actually be funny. And that's what needs to be protected. So let's go out with a bang. Let's have a laugh at your expense, shall we? Remember, they're just jokes. We're all gonna die soon, and there's no sequel. So, 